Chapter Thirteen of As in a Mirror by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Truth versus Falsehood. Corliss Elliot was tilted back in an easy chair in one of the small reading rooms connected with the college. His attitude was that of a lounger, and several other young fellows were sitting or standing about in positions suggestive of leisure and recreation some topic of considerable interest involving a difference of opinion had been up for discussion between two of them and corliss had just drawn attention to himself by asking why don't you fellows appeal to me to settle that dispute for you how would you know anything about it one of them asked you don't even know the person we are talking about don't i indeed what makes you so sure of that well do you he hasn't been in town but a week and he hasn't been out to the college at all despite the fact that he has a dear cousin in this neighborhood it is never safe to jump to conclusions harry my boy i know the color of his hair and eyes as well as i do those of my own father not to speak of several other important items of information that i could give you concerning him on occasion the young man harry was about to enlist him for his side of the debate when the other who had been gazing meditatively at corliss suddenly turned their thoughts into a new channel i say elliot you were not upon my word i believe you were one of those fellows the other night the color instantly flamed into elliot's face but he answered with his easy laugh what a definite question what a lawyer you will make alf fancy pitching such carefully planned and lucid queries as that at the head of a trembling witness let me see i was a fellow of some sort the other night undoubtedly and i was one of a lot of fellows no doubt but how shall it be determined which lot you refer to he wouldn't chaff like that if he had been with them last night volunteered harry you've heard of the precious scrape they got into at the belmont house haven't you oh some more gossip that's right hal lawyers have to be on the lookout for all such little things what did we do at the belmont house to create a sensation so you were one of them chimed in the other i wonder we never thought of you we knew you were out somewhere last night tell us all about it coral that's a good fellow if you hadn't been out of town to-day you would know that there has been quite an excitement over it lots of stories are afloat one is that prex is going to expel every one of you it isn't true is it we think that would be mean for a little fracas like that and gotten up in honor of the stranger too we'll stand by you coral if that is it though we thought it was mean and bliss not to invite all our set it was bliss's spread wasn't it and what did you break anyhow those yarns are always so awfully exaggerated they closed about him in great eagerness all the young men in the room all talked at once each asking a question about the affair at the belmont house they had evidently been brought back to a subject that had excited them much earlier in the day and from which they had been resting having gleaned as they supposed all possible information behold here was a new and unexpected vein to work i am sorry you were with them coral said one of the older boys 
it isn't simply that one evening's performance but that fellow traverse has a bad name if he is from oxford i shouldn't care to be associated with him how came you to know him so well oh hold on shouted another dick is green with envy coral because he wasn't invited don't listen to his preaching but tell us about the scrape and how you are going to get out of it we heard that they couldn't find but three that they were sure of and those three wouldn't give so much as a hint about the others you weren't one of the three were you my dear fellow how am i going to know unless you tell me who the three were this was corliss's laughing rejoinder then his face suddenly growing grave it's a bad business boys i'm glad you weren't in it though we had no end of fun and didn't mean any harm what's that traverse oh he isn't so bad as his reputation hardly any one is no we haven't been expelled yet at least i haven't but there is no telling what will come you fellows will stand by us won't you whatever happens it was this way he parried rather than answered their questions for several minutes at the time they seemed to themselves to be acquiring a great deal of information but after it was over they reviewed the interview with a mortified realization that corliss had told them nothing after all about the famous belmont house trouble in the midst of one of his gay half serious half comic responses a click like that of a closing door sounded in the alcove just behind him he was separated from it only by a portier he stopped suddenly and turned toward the portier is someone in there boys he asked i glanced in when i sat down here and thought it was vacant one of the boys pushed back the curtain and looked in no he said there is no one here it is that old door it gives a click every now and then corliss drew a sigh of relief i was preparing to be scared he said gaily it would have been rather hard on me to have had the prex for instance hiding there to listen to my confessions then the questions and answers went eagerly forward in point of fact president chambers had been standing in the corner of the alcove almost concealed by the heavy curtains looking thoughtfully at a book whose leaves he did not turn it was he who had clicked the door as he passed out fifteen minutes afterwards while corliss elliot was still alternately astonishing and irritating his small audience jackson the colored dignitary who managed all the important affairs of the college appeared with his courtly bow to say that president chambers would like to have mr elliot come to him in his office immediately now for it exclaimed the boys while corliss suddenly and in silence tilted forward his chair and sprang to his feet i'm glad i'm not in your shoes said harry sympathetically but remember added another voice we will stand by you then corliss elliot moved away wondering what in the world president chambers could want with him the president gave no time for consideration glancing up as the young man entered he began without other recognition than the slightest possible bend of his stately head elliot you doubtless remember that i gave you fifty dollars yesterday morning and asked you to step in at wellington's as you passed and pay the bill certainly sir 
said Elliot politely. Very well. What did you do with the money? Paid the bill, of course. And now Elliot's voice had taken on both a questioning and a haughty tone. And secured a receipt for it? No, sir. The receiving clerk was very busy, and he remarked to me that I might leave the bill with the money, and he would send up the receipt by mail. I knew the college had dealings constantly at Wellington's, and supposed it would be all right. Is there anything wrong? Yes, many things are wrong. This by no means the worst feature. Words could not express my astonishment, I may say dismay, at learning that you were involved in the disgraceful scene that took place at the Belmont House last night. Had my information come from any other source than the one it did, I should have indignantly denied it, on the ground that your father's son could not have been guilty of such a lapse. To find that you were not only a participant, but that the remembrance of it simply amuses you, and is even to be boasted of, almost staggers my belief in young men altogether. I had not imagined it of you. I have decided that you perhaps anticipated the result, in dollars and cents, of the disgrace, and are now aware that your share will amount to something more than fifty dollars. Plate glass and decorated china are expensive articles to play with, young man." By this time Corliss Elliot's face was aflame. His anger, which had been steadily rising since the first words were spoken to him, had reached white heat. Yet he kept his voice low as he said, "'May I be allowed to ask what informant against me is so trustworthy that on the strength of his words you feel yourself at liberty not only to accuse me falsely, but to insult me by insinuations that I should think would be beneath you?' President Chambers looked steadily and sternly at the flushed face, but his voice was sorrowful as he said, "'Elliot, if you were innocent, I should pass over the impudence of your language. I believe I should even rejoice in it. But it is bitter to me to remember that my informant was no other than yourself. I was in the lower reading-room this evening, in the alcove just back of where you sat, and heard your remarkably genial, even merry, admissions to your classmates, as well as your frank avowal of intimate acquaintance with a man whom I believe to be thoroughly bad in every sense of the word. After that, can you wonder at my suspicions? The young man caught his breath in a sudden gasp as he listened, and stifled what sounded like a groan. For a moment he stared almost vacantly at the stern face before him, as though he felt unable to gather his thoughts into words. Then he burst forth. President Chambers, there was not a word of truth in that. I was just chaffing the fellows to show them how easy it was to cheat them. I had not heard anything about the trouble at the Belmont House until they told me, and I don't know any of the particulars even now. I have been away all day by permission of the authorities." The boys were so excited and so gullible that I could not help having a little fun at their expense. Besides, I had reasons for wishing— Here he came to a sudden stop. It was clear that his listener did not believe him. The stern look never left his face. Instead, it deepened, as he said after a moment of impressive silence, Can I believe that a self-respecting young man— deliberately and without other motive than fun, 
would tell as many lies as i heard you tell to your classmates if what you are now saying is true elliot is it possible that you do not see that this way of trying to evade disgrace is but a deeper disgrace listen lifting his hand with an imperative gesture as the impetuous young voice was about to burst forth you have accused me of insulting you by an insinuation i did speak words to you that nothing but your own language as heard by me could have wrung from me but i ought to speak plainer it is right that you should know that the fifty dollars which you say you left with the receiving clerk at wellington's he says he has never received i came home from there firm in the belief that you could explain the matter as soon as you reached here i thought that the hour might have been later than you supposed and that you might have felt compelled to let the errand wait till another time or that it had slipped your mind but when i heard you to-night and learned that you were one of those who had but the evening before defied authority and disgraced yourself and the college and then that you could laugh over it i felt that i was justified in believing that you had been tempted into other lines of disgrace i do not wish to be hard upon you he added in tones less stern as he saw the suddenly paling face i would be glad to help you and to shield you from all the public disgrace possible with regard to this affair at the belmont house the trustees and faculty are agreed to a unit that public and decided examples must be made of those who in so flagrant a manner dared college sentiment every student knows the position which we hold in regard to these matters it is not possible for any of you to sin ignorantly but as concerns this other elliot i am persuaded that you may have been led into sudden temptation and if you will be true to me and state everything exactly as it is i will shield you and give you a chance to recover yourself you are very kind said corliss very kind indeed but i want you to distinctly understand that i do not wish any shielding from you nor any chances as you call them it shall go hard with me if i do not make you repent this night's work and turning he strode from the room he had never been so angry in his life the veins in his temples seemed swelling into cords and the blood beat against them as though determined to burst forth bareheaded and without overcoat as he was he strode into the chill night air uncertain which way he went and indifferent as to what became of him the idea that he corliss elliot son of a father whose word was accounted as good as a bond grandson of a man who had been noted for his unswerving fidelity to truth and honor should have it hinted to him that he had spoken falsely acted falsely actually descended to the place of a common thief it was almost beyond belief thus far no thought of the immediate consequences of this state of things had entered his mind that people would hear of it that he would be expelled from college in disgrace that his mother's heart would break and his father's be wrung with agony did not occur to him it was simply the sense of personal outrage which he felt and the overwhelming desire to punish president chambers for the insults that he had heaped upon him in that state of mind he was of course incapable of continued thought or of connected thought of any sort twice he made the circuit of the grounds 
raging inwardly so much that he was not conscious that the night was cold when he at last came to himself sufficiently to ask what should be done under the extraordinary circumstances that now surrounded him the strongest feeling he had was a desire to escape from college authority not that he feared it not he it might rather be said that he scorned it the very grounds had suddenly become hateful to him if he could only be at home that minute in his mother's room telling her the story of his wrongs with his hand slipped into both of hers while his father sat opposite with his keen searching yet sympathetic eyes resting upon him and hildreth leaning over the back of his chair listening intently while she planned even then how to help him in the distance he heard the whistle of an outbound train he stopped before a friendly lamp-post and looked at his watch in less than an hour there would be another going westward and in two hours more he could be at home why not not in that state hatless and coatless no he would venture into the hateful building long enough to secure what he needed should he go and without a word to any one what right had those who had so outraged his feelings to expect courtesy from him he still had no thought of consequences for himself to be sure it wanted less than two days to friday when he should go home as usual but two days under some circumstances are an eternity he rushed toward the building where he roomed jackson was carrying the mail to the various rooms and held out a letter for him it was from hildreth he stopped under the hall lamp to read it dear corliss father says it is foolish but he really is not so well this evening he has been feverish and somewhat flighty all day and has asked frequently for you we think he might have a more restful night if you would come down and sit with him could you do you think he is not seriously ill you know but there is fever enough to make us anxious we shall send john to the station in the hope that you can come but father says if you cannot you are not to worry in the least and he bids me tell you that he is only sending for you to please mother and me corliss gave a kind of groan as he finished he had forgotten that his father was ill no bad news i hope sir it was jackson speaking with respectful sympathy but corliss did not answer him professor marchant was moving down the hall corliss turned toward him speaking hurriedly professor marchant my father is ill can you excuse me from college for tomorrow i want to take the eight o'clock train professor marchant was prompt with his sympathy he had not heard the latest news and he took it for granted that the father's illness was very serious how else was he to account for the manifest distress of the son End of chapter 13